Section 78 of the Topaz Storybook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nan Dodge. The Topaz Storybook Stories and Legends of Autumn, Halloween, and Thanksgiving, compiled by Ada M. and Eleanor L. Skinner. Section 78. The Debut of Daniel Webster. I guess you can get the L roof shingled now most any old time, cried Homer Tidd. He bounced in at the kitchen door. A blast of icy wind followed him. Gracious, shut the door, Homer, and then tell me your news. His mother shivered and pulled a little brown shawl tighter about her shoulders. The boy planted himself behind the stove and laid his mittened hands comfortably around the pipe. Oh, I've made a great deal, mother. Homer's freckled face glowed with satisfaction. What? asked Mrs. Tidd. Did you see the man that just drove out of the yard? No, I didn't, Homer. Well, twas Mr. Richards. The Mr. Richards of Finch and Richards, the big market folks over in the city. Has he bought your Thanksgiving turkeys? He ain't bought em for Thanksgiving. Well, what are you so set up about, boy? He's rented the whole flock. He's to pay me three dollars a day for them. Then he's going to buy them all for Christmas. Land sakes, three dollars a day. Mrs. Tidd dropped one side of a pan of apples she was carrying, and some of them went rolling about the kitchen floor. Homer nodded. For how long? she asked eagerly. For a week. Homer's freckles disappeared in the crimson glow of enthusiasm that overspread his face. Eighteen dollars for nothing but exhibitin' a bunch of turkeys? Seems to me some folks must have money to throw away. Mrs. Tidd stared perplexedly over the top of her glasses. I'll tell you all about it, mother. Homer took a chair and planted his feet on the edge of the oven. Mr. Richards is going to have a great Thanksgiving food show, and he wants a flock of live turkeys. He's been driving round the country looking for some. The postmaster sent him here. He told them about Dan'l Webster's tricks. They don't make Dan'l any better eatin', objected his mother. Maybe not, but don't you see? Well, Homer's laugh was an embarrassed one. I'm goin' to put Dan'l and Gettysburg through their tricks right in the store window. You bent, and the mother looked in rapt admiration at her clever son. I be, answered Homer triumphantly. I don't know, boy, just what I think of it said his mother slowly. "'Tain't exactly a gentlemanly sort of thing to do, be it?' "'I reckon I've been to gentlemen, mother,' replied Homer, with his jolly laugh. "'Tell me all about it.' "'Well, I was feeding the turkeys when Mr. Richards drove in. He said he heard I had some trick turkeys, and he'd like to see em. Lucky enough, I hadn't fed em. They was awful hungry, and I tell you, they never did their tricks better.' What did Mr. Richard say? He thought it was the most amazing thing he'd ever seen in his life. He said he wouldn't have believed turkeys had enough gumption in em to learn a trick of any kind. Did you tell him how you'd fussed with them ever since they was little chicks? I did. He was real interested, and he offered me three dollars to give a show three times a day. He's got a window half as big as this kitchen. He'll have it wired in. "'and the turkeys'll stay there at his expense. 
Along before Christmas he'll give me twenty-two cents a pound for him. Well, I vow, Homer, it's pretty good pay. Mr. Richards, give me a commutation on the railroad. He's to send after the turkeys and bring em back so I won't have any expense. Homer rose and sauntered about the kitchen, picking up the apples that had rolled in all directions over the floor. A week before Thanksgiving, the corner in front of Finch and Richard's great market looked as it was wont to look on circus day. Only the eyes of the crowds were not turned expectantly up Main Street. They were riveted on a window in the big store. Passers-by tramped out into the snowy street when they reached the mob at the corner. The front of the store was decorated with a fringe of plump turkeys. One window had held a glowing mountain of fruit and vegetables arranged by someone with a keen eye to color, monstrous pumpkins, splendid purple cabbages, rosy apples and russet pears, green and purple grapes, snowy stalks of celery, and corn ears yellow as sunshine. Crimson beets neighbored with snowy parsnips, scarlet carrots and silk-wrapped onions, eggplants gleaming like deep-hued amethysts, circled about magnificent cauliflowers, while red and yellow bananas made gay mosaic walks through the fruit mountain. Wherever a crack or a cranny had been left was a mound of ruby cranberries, fine raisin bunches, or brown nuts. It was a remarkable display of American products, yet after the first awe of admiration, people passed on to the farther window where six plump turkeys, supremely innocent of the feast-day fete, flapped their wings or gobbled impertinently when a small boy laid his nose flat against the window. Three times a day the crowd grew twenty deep. It laughed and shouted and elbowed one another good-naturedly, for the Thanksgiving spirit was abroad. Men tossed children up on their stalwart shoulders, and small hands clapped ecstatically, and small legs kicked with wild enthusiasm. The hero of the hour was a freckled red-haired boy who came leaping through a wire door with an old broom over his shoulders. Every turkey waited for him eagerly, hungrily. They knew that each old familiar trick learned way back in chickhood would earn a good feed. When the freckled boy began to whistle, or when his voice rang out in a shrill order, it was the signal for Dan'l Webster, for Gettysburg, for Amanda Ann, Mehitable, Nancy, or Farragut, to step to the center of the stage and do some irresistibly funny turn with a turkey's bland solemnity. None of the birds had attacks of stage fright. Their acting was as self-possessed as if they were in the old farmyard with no audience present but Mrs. Tidd to lean smiling over the fence with a word of praise and the coveted handful of golden corn. With every performance the crowd grew more dense, the applause more uproarious, and the Thanksgiving trade at Finch and Richard's bigger than it had been in years. Each night Homer took the last train home, tired but happy, for three crisp greenbacks were added to the roll in his small shabby wallet. Two days before Thanksgiving, Homer, in his blue overalls and faded sweater, was busy at work. The gray of the dawn was just creeping into the east while the boy went hurrying through his chores. There was still a man's work to be done before he took the ten o'clock train to town. 
Besides, he had promised to help his mother about the house. His grandfather and uncle and aunt and three small cousins were coming to eat their Thanksgiving feast at the old farmhouse. Homer whistled gaily while he bedded the creatures with fresh straw. The whistle trailed into an indistinct trill. The boy felt a pang of loneliness as he glanced into the turkey pen. There was nobody there but old Mother Salvia. Homer tossed her a handful of corn. Poor old lady, I suppose you're lonesome, ain't you now? Never mind, when spring comes, you'll be scratching around with a whole raft of nice little chickies at your heels. We'll teach them a fine trick or two, won't we, old Salvia? Salvia clucked over the corn appreciatively. Homer, Homer, come here quick. Down the frozen path through the yard came Mrs. Tidd, with a little brown shawl wrapped tightly about her head. She fluttered a yellow envelope in her hand. Homer, boy, it's a telegraph come. I can't read it. I've mislaid my glasses. Homer was by her side in a minute, tearing open the flimsy envelope. It's from Finch and Richard's mother, he cried excitedly. They say, take the first train to town without fail. What do you suppose they want you for? asked Mrs. Tidd with a very anxious face. Perhaps the stores burned down, gasped Homer. He brushed one rough hand across his eyes. Poor Daniel Webster in Gettysburg. I didn't know anybody could set so much store by turkeys. Maybe it ain't nothing bad, Homer. Mrs. Tidd laid her hand upon his shoulder. Maybe they want you to give an extra early show or something. She suggested it cheerfully. Maybe, echoed Homer. But, Mother, I've got to hurry to catch that 7.30 train. Let me go with you, Homer. You don't need to, cried the boy. It probably ain't nothing serious. I'm going, cried Mrs. Tidd decisively. You don't suppose I could stay here doing nothing but waiting and wondering? Mrs. Tidd and Homer caught a car at the city depot. Five minutes later they stood in front of Finch and Richard's big market. Mother, whispered the boy as he stepped off the car. Mother, my turkeys, they're not there. Something's happened. See the crowd. They pushed their way through a mob that was peering in at the windows and through the windows of locked doors. The row of plump turkeys was not hung this morning under the big sign. The magnificent window display of fruit and vegetables had been ruthlessly demolished. What do you suppose can have happened, whispered Mrs. Tidd while they waited for a clerk to come hurrying down the store and unlock the door. Homer shook his head. Mr. Richards himself came to greet them. "'Well, young man,' he cried, "'I've had enough of your pesky bird show. There's a hundred dollars worth of provisions gone, to say nothing of the trade we are turning away. Two days before Thanksgiving, of all times in the year.' "'Good land,' whispered Mrs. Tidd. Her eyes were wandering about the store. It was scattered from one end to the other with wasted food. Sticky rivers trickled here and there across the floor. A small army of clerks was hard at work, sweeping and mopping. "'Where's my turkeys?' asked Homer. "'Your turkeys, confound them,' snarled Mr. Richards. "'They're safe and sound in their crate in my back store. All but that blasted old gobbler you called Dan o Webster.' He's doing his stunts on a top shelf. We found him there tearing cereal packages into shreds. For mercy's sake, go and see if you can't get him down. 
He has almost pecked the eyes out of every clerk who has tried to lay a finger on him. I'd like to wring his ugly neck. Mr. Richard's face grew red as the comb of Daniel Webster himself. Homer and his mother dashed across the store. High above their heads strutted Daniel Webster with a slow, stately tread. Occasionally he peered down at the ruin and confusion below, commenting upon it with a lordly, satisfied gobble. "'Dan'l Webster,' called Homer, coaxingly. "'Good old Dan'l, come and see me.' The boy slipped cautiously along to where a stepladder stood. "'Dan'l,' he called persuasively. "'Wouldn't you like to come home, Dan'l?' Dan'l perked down with pleased recognition in his eyes. Homer crept up the ladder. He was preparing to lay a hand on one of Dan'l's black legs when the turkey hopped away with a triumphant gobble and went racing gleefully along the wide shelf. A row of bottles filled with salad dressing stood in Dan'l's path. He cleared them out of the way with one energetic kick. They tumbled to a lower shelf. Their yellow contents crept in a sluggish stream toward the mouth of a tea box. "'I'll have that bird shot,' thundered Mr. Richards. "'That's all there is about it.' "'Wait a minute, sir,' pleaded Mrs. Tidd. "'Homer'll get him.' Daniel Webster would neither be coaxed nor commanded. He wandered up and down the shelf, gobbling vociferously into the faces of the excited mob. "'Henry, go and get a pistol,' cried Mr. Richards, turning to one of the clerks. "'Homer!' Mrs. Tidd clutched the boy's arm. "'Why don't you make believe you're shooting Dan'l? "'Maybe he'll lie down so you can get him.' Homer called for a broom. He tossed it, gun-fashion, across his shoulder, and crept along slowly, sliding a ladder before him to the spot where the turkey stood watching with intent eyes. He put one foot upon the lowest step, then he burst out in a spirited whistle. It was marching through Georgia. The bird stared at him fixedly. Bang! cried Homer, and he pointed the broom straight at the recreant turkey. Daniel Webster dropped stiff. A second later, Homer had a firm grasp of the scaly legs. Daniel returned instantly to life, but the rebellious head was tucked under his master's jacket. Daniel Webster thought he was being strangled to death. There, cried Homer triumphantly. He closed the lid of the poultry crate and wiped the perspiration from his forehead. There, I guess you won't get out again. He followed Mr. Richards to the front of the store to view the devastation. Who'd have thought turkeys could have ripped up strong wire like that, cried the enraged market man, pointing to the shattered door. I guess Dan'l began the mischief, said Homer soberly. He's awful strong. "'I'm sorry I ever laid eyes on Dan'l,' exclaimed Mr. Richards. "'I'll hate to see Finch. He'll be in on the 420 train. He's conservative. He never had any use for the turkey show.' "'When did you find out that they—what had happened?' asked Homer timidly. "'At five o'clock. Two of the men got here early. They telephoned me. I never saw such destruction in my life. Your turkeys had sampled most everything in the store, from split peas to molasses. What they didn't eat, they knocked over or tore open. I guess they won't need feeding for a week. They're chuck full of oatmeal, beans, crackers, peanuts, pickles, toothpicks, prunes, soap, red herrings, cabbage, about everything their crops can hold. I'm awfully sorry, faltered Homer. 
"'So am I,' said Mr. Richards resolutely. "'Now the best thing you can do is to take your flock and clear out. "'I've had enough of performing turkeys.' Homer and his mother waited at the depot for the eleven o'clock train. Beside them stood a crate filled with turkeys that wore a well-fed, satisfied expression. Somebody tapped Homer on the shoulder. "'You're the boy who does the stunts with turkeys, aren't you?' asked a well-dressed man with a silk hat and a flower in his buttonhole. "'Yes,' answered the boy, wonderingly. "'I've been hunting for you. That was a great rumpus you made at Finch and Richards. The whole town's talking about it.' "'Yes,' answered Homer again, and he blushed scarlet. "'Taking your turkeys home?' Homer nodded. "'I've come to see if we can keep them in town a few days longer.' The boy shook his head vigorously. "'I don't want any more turkey shows.' "'Not if the price is big enough to make it worth your while?' "'No,' said Homer sturdily. "'Let us go into the station and talk it over.' On Thanksgiving afternoon, the Colonial Theatre, the best vaudeville house in the city, held a throng that was dined well and was happy enough to appreciate any sort of fun. The children, hundreds of them, shrieked with delight over every act. The women laughed. The men applauded with great hearty hand-claps. A little buzz of excitement went round the house, when, at the end of the fourth turn, two boys, instead of setting up the regulation big red number, displayed a brand-new card. It read, Extra Number, Homer Tidd and His Performing Turkeys. A shout of delighted anticipation went up from the audience. Every paper in town had made a spectacular story of the ruin at Finch and Richard's. Nothing could have been so splendid a surprise. Everybody broke into applause. Everybody except one little woman who sat in the front row of the orchestra. Her face was pale. Her hands clasped and unclasped each other tremulously. Homer boy, she whispered to herself. The curtain rolled up. The stage was set for a realistic farmyard scene. The floor was scattered with straw. An old pump leaned over in one corner. Hay tumbled untidily from a barn loft. A coop with a hen and chickens stood by the fence. From her stall stared a white-faced cow. Her eyes blinked at the glare of the footlights. The orchestra struck up a merry tune. The cow uttered an astonished moo. Then in walked a sturdy lad with fine broad shoulders, red hair, and freckles. His boots clumped. His blue overalls were faded. His sweater had once been red. At his heels stepped six splendid turkeys, straight in line, every one with its eyes on the master. Homer never knew how he did it. Two minutes earlier he had said to the manager desperately, "'I'll cut and run right off as soon as I set eyes on folks.' Perhaps he drew courage from the anxious gaze in his mother's eyes. Hers was the only face he saw in the great audience. Perhaps it was the magnificent aplomb of the turkeys that inspired him. They stepped serenely, as if walking out on a gorgeously lighted stage was an everyday event in their lives. Anyhow, Homer threw up his head and led the turkey march round and round past the footlights, till the shout of applause dwindled into silence. The boy threw back his head and snapped his fingers. The turkeys retreated to form in line at the back of the stage. "'Gettysburg!' cried Homer, pointing to a stately plump hen. 
Gettysburg stepped to the center of the stage. "'How many kernels of corn have I thrown you, Getty?' he asked. The turkey turned to count them with her head cocked reflectively on one side. Then she scratched her foot on the floor. One, two, three, four, five. Right, now you may eat them, Getty. Gettysburg wore her new-won laurels with an excellent grace. She jumped through a row of hoops, slid gracefully about the stage on a pair of miniature roller skates. She stepped from stool to chair, from chair to table, in perfect time with Homer's whistle and a low strain of melody from the orchestra. She danced a stately jig on the table, then, with a satisfied cluck, descended on the other side to the floor. Amanda Ann, Mehitable, Nancy, and Farragut achieved their triumphs in a slow dance made up of dignified hops and mazy turns. They stood in a decorous line, awaiting the return of their master, for Homer had dashed suddenly from the stage. He reappeared, holding his head up proudly. Now he wore the blue uniform and jaunty cap of a soldier boy, a gun leaning on his shoulder. The orchestra put all its vigor, patriotism, and wind into marching through Georgia. Straight to Homer's side, when they heard his whistle, wheeled the turkey regiment, ready to keep step, to fall in line, to march and countermarch. Only one feathered soldier fell. It was Daniel Webster. At a bang from Homer's rifle, he dropped stiff and stark. From children here and there in the audience came a cry of horror. They turned to ask in frightened whispers if the turkey was truly shooted. As if to answer the question, Daniel leaped to his feet. Homer pulled a stars and stripes from his pocket and waved it enthusiastically. Then the orchestra dashed into Yankee Doodle. It awoke some patriotic spirit in the soul of Daniel Webster. He left his master and puffing himself to his stateliest proportions, stalked to the footlights to utter one glorious, soul-stirring gobble. The curtain fell, but the applause went on and on and on. At last, out again across the stage came Homer, waving old glory. Daniel Webster, Gettysburg, Amanda Ann, Nancy, Mehitable, and Farragut followed in a triumphal march. Homer's eyes were bent past the footlights, searching for the face of one little woman. This time the face was one radiant flush, and her hands were adding their share to the deafening applause. Homer, boy, she said fondly. This time she spoke aloud, but nobody heard it. An encore for the extra turn was so vociferous it almost shook the plaster from the ceiling. End of section 78